Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk about something that is unfortunately near and dear to my heart, not so much dear, but very near, and that is the fear of throwing up, emetophobia. That is a very common struggle with a lot of kids who have anxiety or OCD, and it is super common in my household. I grew up with emetophobia. It's under control, but I can still feel it rumbling inside of me when my kids are having their own struggles with emetophobia. And my daughter and my son struggle with it. My daughter especially, I feel like has a big struggle with it. It's one of her core core issues. So I was very excited to invite Dr. Dawn Hebner back onto the show. She's been on quite a few times actually in the past few months because we've been talking about her mini series. She's got mini books about mighty fears. And so she was on the podcast to talk about the fear of facing new things or trying new things, facing fears about health, Facing Fears About Animals. And this is kind of the last in the series, although it's the first book she said she wrote in this series, is How to Face the Fear of Throwing Up. You probably have heard her books because she is the author of What to Do When Your Brain Gets Stuck and What to Do When You Worry Too Much, two incredibly classic, popular books on anxiety or OCD that I recommend all the time. And I was super excited to see that she's doing these specific fears especially the one about emetophobia, because there weren't a lot of resources for me to recommend to parents for kids directly. And so I invited her on and we have a really great discussion about, you know, what are you supposed to do as a parent when your child is feeling nauseous all the time, or they're feeling terrified of throwing up. And a lot of what we discuss is counterintuitive. It's like things that you would not think to do when your child is struggling in the way that they are, but it's things that will really move the dial and that will really help your child. So we talk about, you know, briefly what is emetophobia, but then we spend most of our time talking about things parents can do to help their kids and things kids can do to help themselves directly. And I think that you'll find it really helpful. Before we get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring my episode. NoCD provides affordable, convenient therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., and you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. I do know from the members of my AT Parenting community that quite a few are in there getting uh, virtual anxiety and OCD therapy from NoCD to treat the fear of throwing up, to treat emetophobia and have made really great progress. There was one child that was talking about that in our support group this past month and was saying how their NoCD therapist is like walk them through it and that they're not having nearly as many issues as they had. So that's exciting. Get all the resources and support that you can get. You know, getting a trained anxiety and OCD therapist is key. But then also these supplemental tools like a book that can help really break it down for your child, like why you're doing these things, what will help, what will grow it is gold. It's just gold. And so I hope that you find our conversation helpful. And so without further ado, here is my discussion with Dr. Don Hebner. 
Well, I want to welcome back Dr. Don Huebner to the show. Thank you so much for coming on again. I appreciate it. It's nice to be here. I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, we've been talking a lot about your mini books about Mighty Fears. I feel like we've done a series of podcast episodes that people can check out. Um, and I'll link those in the show notes. But today is my favorite one because favorite's a weird word, but the fear of throw up is just so prevalent. And so we're going to dive into picking your brain on how to help kids who have a fear of throw up because it is surprisingly common. How often do you see this? A lot. This was the most common fear that I treated when I was actively seeing kids. Um, I had a drawer full of vomit implements, you know, fake vomit and other things that were useful for exposure. And this was the first of the mini books that I wrote. This is what started the series because I felt like there was really a need that was specific to emetophobia, specific to the need to the fear of vomiting. Yeah. Yeah. There really aren't a lot of books out there. And right. a lot of times parents just want a very specific book. I know a lot of kids read Guts, you know, that was um, a fictional book. And that that helped a little bit, but it wasn't quite hitting the spot of like how to build the skills. It was a story. So it helped normalize throwing up and the fear of throwing up. But your book is just a great like manual, kid appropriate manual on how to do that. So let's start from the beginning for some parents who are kind of like, what? This is a thing? Because <laughs> right. some parents are probably thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. So the fear of throwing up is, or getting sick, as some kids call it, is really, really common. And I think you're right that some people don't identify it as a thing. You know, they're just so accustomed to it and they don't recognize that this is a form of a specific phobia and it affects lots and lots and lots of kids. It sometimes is a part of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and sometimes exists as a discrete phobia but it's common and it can become absolutely debilitating to kids because they begin to avoid anything that they associate with the possibility of throwing up. So foods and places and clothing and, you know, anything that they link to throwing up and it can become really handicapping. Yeah. I just, you know, the world can get so small all right. of a sudden. One thing that I noticed, and I'm, I wonder if you noticed this too, is a lot of times parents get stuck on seeing it as a trauma, you know, like in second grade, she had a really bad virus or in fourth grade, she saw Johnny throw up, which we all do. Right. But I think sometimes parents, in my opinion, like can get stuck on that. Right. Yes. And it's the case for many fears that there's a kernel that makes sense, you know, like throwing up is really unpleasant and nobody likes to throw up just like, you know, kids who are afraid of dogs, not all dogs are friendly or kids who are afraid of bees, bee stings hurt. You know, there's something that is valid and true about the fear. And then for kids who are phobic or kids who have OCD, the fear gets blown way out of proportion. You know, their their fear, the level of fear doesn't match the level of danger or the level of difficulty if that thing were to happen. So sometimes kids with a fear of vomiting did have a, an upsetting, you know, a traumatic incident that triggered it. And sometimes there's not that incident or, or kids witnessed somebody else throwing up and, and they felt disgusted and, and afraid and they didn't want that to happen to them. So sometimes there's an incident at the base of it, a clear incident, and sometimes not. 
you know, I think that sometimes parents make the mistake of thinking that we need to try to get to the triggering incident. We need to understand that. And somehow that's going to unlock the fear. And while it can be helpful and interesting to know if there was a triggering incident, it doesn't unlock the fear. There are other things that unlock the fear. Yeah. And that, thanks for saying that. Cause I think that helps clarify. Cause I do think sometimes we can get squirreled and we feel like if we can just find you know, that trauma and we'll address the trauma and we'll hit it with rational discussion, but things will get better. And, and that's normally when parents try that and then they're like, this isn't going away and it's ballooning out of control. And so then they're like, what do I do? A lot of times they don't realize that this is an anxiety or OCD theme, even though it's such a common one. Right. Yes, that's true. And I think another thing that becomes difficult is that Many people now have some understanding that one of the main ways to address fears is exposure. So, you know, you're needing to specifically expose a child to the things they're afraid of to help them get beyond the fear. But that can be confusing with something like throwing up because we're not making kids throw up as a way to get them over their fear. That used to be the thinking. I remember when I went to graduate school. We learned about giving kids syrup of Ipecac, you know, an expectorant to make them throw up as a part of their treatment for a fear of vomiting. Fortunately, that's not what's done anymore. But exposure is still used. As you know, it's not, we're not exposing kids to throwing up. We're exposing them to the possibility of throwing up. And that's a really important distinction. But Doing that, you know, exposing kids to the kinds of things that they associate with throwing up is a really important part of helping them to overcome this fear. Yeah, that's a great way to put it because it's really, it's more about the uncertainty as it is with so many other anxiety and OCD themes. It's the uncertainty of what if I throw up or what if I see someone throw up? And I've had kids, and I'm sure you have too, where the parents will say, Oh my gosh, Natasha you know, she had a stomach virus. So I think we're going to be past this because she threw up and her worst fear happened. And so she'll be great. And that's not that big of a deal. And then boom, she gets better. And now boom, she's like afraid again of throwing up. It's nonsensical, but that's how sometimes it shows up. It's the idea, the uncertainty of it. Right. I don't know if you found, but I mean, a lot of times as far as exposure goes, I feel like this particular phobia or anxiety or OCD theme is sometimes a hard sell (laughs) because people get exposing themselves to, you know, the fear of heights, you know, in small increments. So that makes sense to them or separating from a parent that makes sense to them. I know I have found some resistance, not only with the child, but with the parent and well, throw up is disgusting. So who would want to sit there and watch throw up videos or, you know, watch, see an image of that. And so sometimes that can be hard to help parents or definitely kids see like why that would be a benefit. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I try to do is to explain the difference between disgust and danger, right? So vomiting is disgusting, seeing it, talking about it, smelling it, definitely disgusting. That's different from dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think we want kids to recognize that when they see vomit or when they are vomiting, when they smell vomit, whatever, they're going to have a disgust reaction. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're in danger themselves, right? 
And we also want kids to understand that nervousness or fear is different from being in danger, right? And they can feel nervous about something like having played with someone that get sick the next day. And so, you know, you feel nervous that maybe you'll get sick also. That's different from actually being in danger. And so part of what we're trying to do with exposure is to put kids into situations that make them feel that uncertainty or feel nervous and to see that nothing bad actually happens because being afraid is different from being in danger. Yeah. And then the other piece you kind of touched on, I think is really important is that We need to be really careful to not make guarantees that the child is never going to throw up. And that's one of the things that parents often get pulled into, you know, kids that are afraid about getting sick, want their parents to promise that the child's not going to get sick. And often there's a lot of reassurance seeking behavior. You know, can you feel my forehead? Can you take my temperature? Can can we look online about the symptoms of, you know, the virus so that I know whether or not I have it? You know, do you think I'll get sick if I eat this food? There's a lot of reassurance seeking and parents end up accommodating that because they don't know what else to do. But that's part of what keeps everybody kind of trapped. And so part of what kids and parents both need to do is to get themselves accustomed to the idea that they might eventually throw up and that's something, you know, nobody wants it to happen, but it it might happen and they'll get through it. I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like the throw up issue is so much different than other, like I think parents can spot accommodations and reassurance in other areas, especially with mm-hmm. OCD, like moral OCD. I think they can get that pretty quick, but with with the fear of throwing up, it seems very intuitive. And I know because I have got two kids with a metaphobia and I had a metaphobia as a kid too. So we're just like a metaphobia out here. You know? <laughs> just like we're the emetophobia family, but it's intuitive to provide that reassurance that your kids mm-hmm. say, mom, what if I throw up? And it can feel like we're doing the right thing to say, honey, you know, this is just your anxiety, you know, and that sounds really good. And you're going to be fine. You know, your stomach is nervous and blah, blah, blah. Instead of the counterintuitive response, which is kind of what you're talking about, which I always say to my daughter, even this morning when she went to camp for the first time, you may or may not throw up and either way you'll be okay. You'll be able to handle it. And, and that, that seems really bizarre. I think to some parents. Yes. Yes. But it's crucial for parents to say that and for kids to learn how to say some version of that to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if I get sick, I get sick and I'll get through it and there will be people there to help me and then I'll get better. Right. And that's really hard for kids who have a metaphobia, you know, to, to say, if I get sick, I get sick, or I might get sick. There's work that needs to be done to get kids to the point where they can say that. Yeah. And understand why you're saying that, you know, like I had to have a conversation with my daughter and say, you know, why I'm saying that if I keep telling you that you're okay, you know, then you're not going to learn how to build those muscles of discomfort that you may or may not throw up. And no one can guarantee that. Right. Yeah. I mean, at night she'd have that and she's like, mom, I'm going to, and then she actually wound up having, so I brought her to a gastroenterologist and I do recommend ruling things out Mm -hmm. when your child is nauseous all the time or is throwing up and So I was just checking a box off. I honestly thought, you know, there would be nothing. She went to the gastro. Well, I went to the pediatrician and the pediatrician said, well, you know, let's go to the gastroenterologist. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like in my head, I was like, I'm just checking a box off. So we went and she did get diagnosed with celiac. And eventually two years later with like a really intense lactose intolerant allergy. 
Mm-hmm. And so like she was nauseous and throwing up for a reason, but even when we got that under control, the emetophobia didn't go away, you know? Right. And so right. sometimes you right. might have medical issues. Right. And even kids who don't have underlying food allergies or sensitivities, the sensation is real. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that they're faking it or, you know, it's anxiety, which means they're not really feeling it. You know, when kids say they're nauseous, they're nauseous or, you know, their stomach hurts, their stomach hurts. And it might be that anxiety is at the root of it, but they're still feeling physical discomfort, right? And whatever the cause of it is, kids need to learn how to manage the discomfort or, you know, kind of live with it without having it take over for them. Yeah. And you're bringing up another good point. I'm glad you bring these all up because these are things that I'd want to talk about, but I don't have any notes. We're just swinging it here. Is that it is valid. And those feelings are real. And I know for myself, when I was little, like it felt like a stomach virus. Like mm-hmm. the only way I could tell is that it went away when the source of my anxiety, like disappeared. Normally I have right. social anxiety. So it'd be like the beginning of something. And then after I got my feet wet, the nausea went away, but it could have been a stomach flu. A lot of times, actually I misconstrued mm-hmm. stomach flu as anxiety because they felt exactly the same. Right. So again, I think sometimes Parents well-intentionally will say things like, this is just your anxiety, or you know you're not sick, Um, or even if they don't use that language, they'll say, it's your anxiety. And I think to some kids, just that choosing your language very carefully, because it can, like you said, it can discount it, or they can feel like invalidating. It feels dismissive to kids. Right. 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 And so, you know, there's, there's kind of a tricky balance that parents need to learn that has to do with remaining empathic and supportive of your child without accommodating the anxiety, right? So kids with emetophobia typically develop all kinds of essentially superstitions. You know, I can't wear the pants that I was wearing the last time I threw up and I can't sit on the part of the couch that my sister sat on when she was sick and we can't go to certain restaurants. And, you know, there are all these things that that seem like they are linked to vomiting in the child's mind um, and they start avoiding all of those things. And it's that kind of avoidance that parents need to be careful that they're not accommodating, not supporting. Right. Because you may not notice those things, you know, even just not being able to say certain words, you know, Mm -hmm. different variations of throwing up, which I like in your book, because I feel like your book We'll talk about your book in a second, but I feel like it uses lots of language and education and it's in and of itself is a really great exposure. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to, we don't want to walk on eggshells and tippy toe. We, we want to do it systematically. We don't want to overwhelm or flood our kids, but it's being cognizant of, wow, she hasn't worn that shirt. Like since, you know, for two weeks, or she's wearing the same outfit, you know, every day, or just watching mm-hmm. for those patterns because those can happen very compulsively. Right. So what are some first steps for parents? So I think the first step is to recognize that this is a manifestation of anxiety and it can be addressed as all versions of anxiety can. Like it is possible to help kids change their relationship with their anxiety rather than just kind of succumbing to it. You know, I think it it often begins to feel for parents and children that the anxiety just is a reality in their lives and there's nothing they can do other than be reactive to it. So I think one of the really early steps is just 
you know, getting some basic education about anxiety and seeing that there actually is plenty that you can do about it. So that's sort of a, a logical first step for many families. And then I think helping to get kids on board in terms of motivation to do something about it, because as you were saying, this is a pretty scary one for kids, you know, and often kids who have a metaphobia don't want to entertain the possibility that they might throw up and they want to just kind of hedge their bets and be super, super careful about anything that might cause them to throw up. And so we want kids to have some recognition about the ways that this is limiting them or causing real distress for them that they don't need to continue to live with. So, you know, we're trying to just get some amount of kind of buy-in on the part of children, if possible. I think those are some important early steps. Yeah. And I like that because I feel like we want to educate our kids. I think sometimes it's tempting, you know, or if we're overzealous to do things to our kids instead of with our kids and explaining, you know, with my daughter out of like my two, I have three, but my youngest like really has the metaphobia is a big one for her. And I had to help her see that her world was going to get smaller and smaller and smaller because they wind up avoiding. They don't want to go to school because what if they throw up, they don't want to go to camps. They don't want to go to a restaurant. They, you know, it gets smaller and smaller or they get separation anxiety as like secondary conditions. I need to be with my mom because she's going to take care of me. And I know with my daughter, we actually had this today because she went, she was supposed to go to sleepaway camp uh, last week and couldn't do it. And it was just a bridge too far. And I talked about that in my podcast last Mm -hmm. episode, you know, it was just, you could just tell there was just no way like she had, you know, has never been away for like two days and her dad Mm -hmm. died this past year. So it was too much. But then this morning started last night, actually, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I can't go mom and it's band camp and it's three hours, you know? And so this morning, deer caught in headlights and, and letting her know and saying, just use this as an example of what we're talking about. If you don't go today. And what's going to happen on the first day of school? What's going to happen on the first day of this? And because we talk about that a lot, she realizes how it will balloon out of control. Right. Right. Getting that buy-in is good. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's understandable as a parent to want to follow your child's lead and to wait for your child to be comfortable taking on a challenge or, you know, making a step with respect to anxiety. But the goal can't be keeping your child comfortable. Like the kids have to move out of their comfort zone in order to get better. And so we want kids to both feel supported in doing that. Like, you know, parents, it's helpful if parents are just really, really clear with their kids about, I know this is hard and I know you can do it. You know, it's important for parents to not minimize the the fact that this is difficult, but also to really have like a good kind of vote of confidence with their child. And as you're saying, to help help your child see something about if you let anxiety be in charge, anxiety is going to demand to be in charge of just all sorts of things. It, It snowballs. And so we need to not let worry be the boss of this. Yeah. And then sometimes we have to put our own anxiety in check because that's triggering for a lot of us sensitive parents with anxiety or without that, you know, we have to have that poker face of, you know, you've got this and it's all okay. Mm -hmm. Even if I was doing a lot of deep breathing today, because I thought I'm really anxious about this because I have my own emetophobia and sometimes she gets anxious and she does throw up. And so it's Mm -hmm. like triggering for me because I'm like, is she going to be able to do it? Is she going to throw up? And that's going to be embarrassing. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's like, 
sometimes we have to look at our own filter, but then what we're presenting to our kids. And a lot of times they're not going to be comfortable, you know, and if we always acquiesce to what they, what they're comfortable in, they really won't grow. I mean, sometimes it is, like I said, a bridge too far. You just know your child Mm -hmm. and you're like, this is going to end up very ugly. But, you know, if she was like, I'm not going, she woke up. The first thing she said is I can't do it. And knowing your child. So for me, I just take her the next step. Okay. Just come downstairs and and sit Mm -hmm. at the bar, you know? Okay, fine. Then, okay, just get dressed. (laughs) I I inchwormed her. Let's just get into the car. We have to pick up your instrument anyway, you know? And then the minute she saw somebody she knew, she was like, mom, you can leave, you know? And, oh, thank goodness. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so there's the sort of how do you handle the anxiety in the moment? You know, when it's the morning of camp, what what are you going to do? And what you're describing that kind of inching her along is a really valid way of handling it. And then there's the, how do you practice this stuff outside of the moment, like to help build your child's muscles for it, right? And with kids with emetophobia, there's plenty that you can do outside of the moment, often just starting with words, you know, having kids say the words that are associated with vomiting or throwing up that feel triggering to them and looking at pictures and listening to sounds and acting things out. You know, those are, those are all things that you do not at a kind of key moment where you're trying to get your child to separate to do something, but as practice separately. Yeah. Practice is so important. And so let's talk a little bit about how you talk about that in your book, because your book is facing mighty fears about throwing up and it's for six to 10 year olds. When you say six, Mm -hmm. okay. And I love it because it is, you know, it's like a therapist guide, but for kids, it goes very systematically into how to do that. Can you talk a little bit about how you walk kids through that directly? Yeah. So the book starts with just talking about throwing up and normalizing it. You know, it's something that our bodies do for a variety of reasons, good reasons, important reasons that, you know, our body sometimes needs to throw up and that's okay. That's normal and healthy. The way all of these books are set up is that in addition to information for kids, there are fun facts about whatever the topic is. So um, sprinkled throughout the book are fun facts about vomit that are an exposure in and of themselves. And then for kids that have a particular kind of sense of humor or a science brain, they're interesting factoids as well. But after the introductory material, there are a set of really specific steps for kids. And so the steps that have to do with emetophobia are first to just practice using the word in a whole variety of ways. And there are really specific examples given about, you know, repeating it 10 times fast or turning it into into a rap or making up poems about it or playing. One of my favorites is playing vomit, go fish. So you make a go fish deck using all the words for vomit, pew, curl, upchuck. And then you're asking one another, you know, do you have an upchuck or do you have a hurl rather than asking for the fish? But it's just getting kids to use the language around throwing up is the first step. Second step is teaching kids to say to themselves, if I get sick, I get sick, and then I get better. And often you need to do that in little pieces. So have a child first to say the first word, if, and that's the end of it. And you're just practicing if, 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 um, and then you're adding a second word, but you're eventually trying to get to the point that kids say, if I get sick, I get sick, and then I get better. And that can be made into a poster and it could be put onto post-its and, you know, stuck around the room. 
And initially kids are going to say that without believing it, but as they get further into using the strategies, that becomes more valid and true seeming to them. So that's just a really important thing for kids to learn how to say to themselves. And then the third step has to do with beginning to do the things you've been avoiding. So whether that's eating particular foods or wearing certain clothing or touching certain things or hearing things, you know, whatever you've been avoiding, you need to begin to do in an intentional way, you know, not, not just kind of waiting for the circumstance where you're sort of faced with that thing that you avoid, but you're, you're kind of purposely seeking it out and doing it. And that's essentially an exposure activity. Yeah. You know, it's systematic. And so it's like one step at a time building up those muscles. And I love that. I love that you can, you know, have a book that's written for kids so that they can understand that. And they can, sometimes kids are like more empowered than we actually believe they are. And you give them a book. And I've seen this with kids that I've worked with where they read a book on their own and all of a sudden they're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. exposures and they, because they just, need to get that. They need to get that A plus B equals C. You're having this fear. You need to expose yourself, sit with the uncertainty. And then they're like, oh, right. Okay. Right. And with the fear of throwing up, usually the way the anxiety comes up is kids, it comes up in the form of a question, right? Is this going to make me sick or am I going to throw up? And kids want an answer to that question. And so part of what we're teaching is how to unhook from the question, right? Mm -hmm. So how to kind of carry on, even though the question hasn't been answered. And the question hasn't been answered for two reasons. One is that it's impossible to answer it because no one knows the future for sure. And the other is it's a worry question. And the more we try to answer worry questions, the more caught in the worry we become, right? Yeah. We're teaching kids to have that thought of, is this going to make me sick? Or what if I get sick? And to tell themselves, that's my worry talking to me. I don't, I don't need to know the answer to that question. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to circle back to that because there was something that you said before, and I meant to add something to that because a lot of times I'll hear parents say, or they'll take what we're saying to heart to the extent that they feel like they can't provide any kind of reassurance. And And so they don't say anything, you know, because they feel like I can't, I'm not allowed to comfort you. And there's a difference between comforting your child and providing unhealthy reassurance. And so I'm glad you brought that back up because, you know, I can cheerlead for my child and I can say things like, I'm so sorry. We call it O-Cloud, you know, and so I'll say, I'm so sorry that O-Cloud's making you feel sick today. You know, and I'm so sorry that it's a rough morning. I can empathize without then saying you're going to be okay. Right. I can say, and I know that you can handle whatever happens because you've done it before. So just changing your words, you can still be very empathetic without, you know, feeding the anxiety or OCD. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. So what you're trying to do is support your child without accommodating their anxiety. And so absolutely it, it, helps to be empathic. And another thing I sometimes see parents do is they say to their kids, use your skills. And that's like their only answer, right? And while we do want kids to internalize and use the skills and eventually use them independently, kids typically need more than that, 
And so, you know, to say something like, I can see that your worry is making this hard for you right now, or I can see that worry is scaring you right now. I'm sorry that that's happening. I'm here to help you, you know, maybe kind of begin to use a skill with your child or ask your child, you know, which skill do you think is the right one to try right now? But kids do need their, especially kids at this age, six to 10, need their parents to be involved as they're dealing with the way that their worry is trying to rope them in. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I know for my daughter, not to just make this like the daughter podcast, but this is like her theme. But, you know, when I know it's happening, we'll go over her, like what I call red thoughts and green thoughts, you know, and so I'll tap into what her, her O'Cloud is telling her, you know, and she'll say stuff like, and sometimes I won't realize what is scaring her. And she'll say, you know, like, I'll have nowhere to go if I throw up, you know, it's a new camp. I don't know who will take care of me or whatever. And so sometimes we can be pragmatic about it mm-hmm. and, you know, we can talk about her green thoughts. Well, what will you do if you, and I try to like not spoon feed it, you know, we try to be Socratic about it. Well, what would you do if you threw up, you know, you're like two blocks away. Oh, I, well, I guess I can ask the teacher if I can call you. Yeah. So having, you know, for her, like having a concrete plan and then sometimes our kids do mental compulsions or mental reassurance. And when you're not privy to that, and so asking, like, I'll do this with my kids a lot. I'll say, so what do you need to tell your anxiety or OCD? Or what do you need to call, tell Squishy or O'Cloud? We've got many names in my house. And sometimes I'm surprised because like my son, who's 12, and I thought he is well-skilled. He's having some moral OCD issues. And I said, so what do you need to tell yourself? And it's a new theme. And he said that I'm not a bad person. And I thought, so there's the education. That's, you know, the reassurance. And so sometimes with my daughter, I'll say, what do you, what are you going to tell yourself? And if she says that I'm not going to get sick or that I never get sick, then I'll, you know, gently correct her and I'll say, well, we really can't do that, you know? And so we don't want it. That will grow your oak cloud. So what's a better thing to say? And, and now she says it kind of like in a monotone, sarcastic way, like that I may or may not get sick, you know, but we want to check in with our kids because they might be doing some of that self-reassurance that they're not getting from us. Right. And it's okay for kids to say to themselves something like, my OCD or my worry is usually wrong about this, or, you know, there are a ton of times that I worry and I hardly ever throw up, but we don't want, we don't want those guarantees. We don't want to give them ourselves and we don't want our kids to try to give them to themselves either. Yeah. Yep. So thanks for coming on again. Um, I will leave a link in the show notes. And for those on YouTube, I will leave a link in the comments with your book. And it's part of a series, Dr. Don's mini books about mighty fears. And we've covered I think we covered them all now. There's four of them. Do you want to go mm-hmm. through with all of them real quick? Yeah. So there's Facing Mighty Fears About Animals that focuses on bees, dogs, spiders, and snakes, but can be used for any animal phobia. Facing Mighty Fears About Trying New Things, Facing Mighty Fears About Health, and Facing Mighty Fears About Throwing Up. Yeah. So the health one might be a good one as a supplement for this, for sure. And I will leave links to all those books in the comments and show notes. So thank you so much for coming on. I always appreciate you inviting me. Nice to talk to you. Well, I hope you found that helpful. I'm sure that you did. And for those of you that have been through this for a long time, it's still just good to remind yourself that you're on the right path. You're doing the right things because especially with the metaphobia, you can kind of second guess yourself. You know, it was a really rough morning today. And the whole morning I was like, is this the right thing to do? Should I force her to go? What's going to happen if she really digs her heels in, you know, and I had to do a lot of self-talk and a lot of like self-regulating so that she didn't really see that 
you know, that, that struggle that was going on in my own head. I just had to look solid and firm for her and support her. And I less is more with her. So I just didn't talk about it. I was just like, here you go. Here are your shoes. Do you want me to get your shoes? Okay. We got your shoes. And it was just a beautiful thing when she got excited because she saw someone she knew and boom, stomach didn't hurt anymore. Turned to me and said, I can go. And for those of you that, I mean, most of you can completely relate that there's no better words or a better sentence than mom, you can go. (laughs) I was like elated. So uh, don't forget to check out Dr. Dawn Huebner's book. I do leave links in the show notes. Her entire mini series is really, really good. And so check out all the mini books uh, about Mighty Fears. There's four of them and they're all really, really good. The Facing Mighty Fears About Health might be a good supplement for this particular issue, but they're all really good. And I would definitely check out you know, Dr. Dawn's other books. So she's got quite a few. Go on Amazon and check out her profile because she's really my go-to author for Anxiety and OCD because I, I just love the way that she talks to kids. So check out her stuff. So I hope that you've been enjoying the podcast. Don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. That does help. If you have a few extra moments, don't forget to leave a review. Uh, And if you do leave a review, I'll be reading it next time because I don't think I have any new ones to read. So I'll be reading yours first. And I want to thank you for showing up for your kids and soaking up resources like mine to be the best that we can be, which is imperfectly perfect. And that's what I love. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.